Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. A very busy news day. The Buffalo shooter in the terrible tragedy that occurred last April, a gunman targeting a African-American grocery store and killing so many people, sentenced to life in prison today. But not before there was a dramatic moment in the courtroom where a man grieving the loss of his loved ones charged at the defendant. We have all that on justinews.com. In addition, if you missed it, we have the live video of Nikki Haley's first speech as a presidential candidate. She's the second candidate in the 2024 race behind Donald Trump. Had a kickoff campaign in South Carolina, and we have the coverage on that. A lot of people opining what her plan is, her game is. Is it running for Veep? Right now, she's pretty far down in the polls compared to Donald Trump, but on the campaign trail, already making waves. And I think that's a real ringing of the bell that a full field presidential campaign will soon be underway for 2024. Closer to home, a lot of Democrats beginning to question their own president, Mark Warner, many others saying the president's story, the administration's story about the China spy balloon and the other incursions doesn't make sense. There's just no good explanation why we waited days upon days upon days to shoot down this spy balloon. And now we know that the intelligence committee's story has significantly changed. Originally it was, it took us a day or so to detect it, then we followed it. Turns out they were detecting it long before it got into American airspace. That was confirmed in the last 24 hours. Uh, We've got a lot of people interested in talking about that. So we've got a great show for you today. If you want to check up on those spot headlines, go take a look at those today. Another thing to keep on the horizon on Friday, behind closed doors, the Supreme Court will take a second look at a 2020 election case that accused constitutional officers of not doing their job and not considering more seriously concerns about the way the vote was counted in America in 2020, more nearly over three years ago. This is not a lawsuit about overturning the election results. It's about defining the future statutory obligations of senators, vice presidents, and others who could have at least spent some time reviewing Americans' concerns and answering them. The high court, the nine justices, turned this down a few weeks ago 
odd that they would reconsider it under a different argument. So we'll keep an eye on that. Maybe that's a sign that they are going to t- delve into this issue a little bit more unexpectedly. So all that is on justthenews.com. You won't miss that. Uh, a lot of great stuff. Today, we have a really, really powerful lineup for you. We're going to start with that extraordinary tragedy out in Ohio. It hasn't gotten the attention of the mainstream media that it deserves, but it needs to be further dug into. Lots of serious questions, lots of worry that perhaps the Biden administration dropped the ball, particularly former Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. So we're going to start off today. This was in, as you know, East Palestine, Ohio, multiple derail, a train that was actually on fire for about 20 miles without anyone, including the train sensors, noticing it then derails. And then because it has so many toxic chemicals, some that the United States government wasn't even clear about, there's a controlled burn in hopes of stopping a larger explosion. Well, we're going to get up to speed on every aspect of that story. The congressman who represents that district, and by the way, he's been there day and night. He really shows a model of how you go about when you have a major tragedy in your congressional district, how to do it. Congressman Bill Johnson, Republican of Ohio, he's going to top us off at the top of the show. We're going to ask the hard questions. What about Pete Buttigieg? What is the EPA doing? Was the controlled burn the right approach? What is the long-term concern about animals dying, fish dying? There's been 3,500 fish found dead, farmland being contaminated. Congressman Bill Johnson, a real straight shooter, former military man. We're going to get to the skinny from him on that. And then we're going to bring in the former chief of staff to the director of national intelligence, the man, the top aide to John Ratcliffe when he was in that job. Before that, Dustin Carmack served as an important player in several members of Congress, including Ron DeSantis and John Ratcliffe. He's here to talk about all the developments on the spy balloon, including those very important questions we asked at the top of the show. So a really great show today. Congressman Bill Johnson, former ODNI chief of staff, Dustin Carmack, back to back right after this commercial break. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. As you write your life story, 
you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So excited to have this next guest. He has been on the front lines day in and day out protecting his constituents in Ohio after a devastating train accident put toxic chemicals into the air, into the streams, into the farmland. Joining us now from the great state of Ohio is Congressman Bill Johnson. Congressman, great honor to have you on. John, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. This is an amazing story. It hasn't gotten the media attention I think it deserves, but you're out there 24-7 fighting for the people of East Palestine, fighting for the people of Ohio and West Virginia, where there's been some impact. Tell us the latest of what we've learned about the potential hazardous chemicals and their long, short and long-term impact on civilians. Sure. Well, I was at the, uh, I was at the crash site yesterday, uh, standing exactly where uh, the fire and the controlled uh, explosion, the controlled burnoff occurred. Uh, I was there with the mayor, the fire chiefs, some county commissioners, uh, representatives from Norfolk Southern Railroad, um, the EPA. There were virtually anybody and everybody involved in this situation were there. And I got a report from the mayor. Uh, the evacuation has been terminated. Uh, the all clear has been given. That was based on uh, air testing by the EPA above the city and hundreds, and I think the latest count I have is well over 500 in-home air testing uh, analysis, as well as the testing uh, and ongoing testing of their drinking water. Um, and so those, those testings, uh, those types of tests are going to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, as far as livestock and animals, uh, there have been a number of fish killed, uh, but the word that I got was that most of those were killed in, in you know, the, the, the first minutes, hours of the fire uh, and the crash. Uh, none of them have been killed since then. Uh, the animals I heard, I didn't hear directly from this farmer, that uh, he runs a fox sanctuary, uh, and they were told to get animals out as part of the evacuation, and he got all of the foxes that he had out except four. Uh, that's the number I was given, and, and those four did die. Uh, but right now, you know, it appears that according to the EPA, according to the local officials, uh, the all clear has been given. People are uh, able to return to their homes, and uh, the testing of the water in the air will continue. we got a long way to go. John, we don't know at this point what we don't know, and that's, that is the, the, the point. That's the necessity of continuing these, uh, these tests to make sure. We need to get everybody's questions answered, nobody's, nobody's fears and concerns and anxieties. Uh, there in East, uh, East Palestine should be uh, dismissed at this point. 
And, you know, it's I've watched you in action for the last week. You really have worked day in and day out to make sure that the people in your community get answers, that solutions are put into place quickly. It's really been a remarkable lesson or case study in how a congressman serves his constituents. Today, you had a very constructive solution. A lot of people are talking about you sent a letter to the railroad that had this terrible accident saying, hey, we need some more compensation. We need some more reimbursement to these communities that have been hit hard. Tell us a little bit about that and what reaction you hope to get from the railway. Yeah, I, I applaud what uh, Norfolk Southern has done to compensate the, uh, the residents of East Palestine that live in the evacuation zone. Um, you know, it was a mile uh, radius uh, within the evacuation zone. I'm getting questions from people who live like 1.1 or 1.2 miles outside of the radius of that evacuation zone. And so what happens to them? It's not like the air. It's not like we're, we're putting a cylindrical dome over that evacuation area, and that's the only effect. Uh, those people need something, too. And so I I, uh, I, I, I made a plea to the CEO of Norfolk Southern, and, and I'm hoping he'll see the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, importance of this, that they expand their uh, compensation and the cost for testing and all of those kinds of things to the entire East Palestine community, not just within the hour or the one mile radius of the evacuation zone. A lot of people applauding that move. I see a lot of people talking about it on Twitter. That's getting a lot of great attention. Let me ask you about the Biden administration. There's been some criticism of the transportation secretary. You are the chairman of a very important subcommittee. Have we learned enough about the Biden administration's reaction to this and involvement, engagement to make an assessment of whether they did right by the people of East Palestine? Oh, my goodness. No, they did not. Uh, not, not from a level of concern. Now, let me Let me qualify that. I have no problems at this point with the conduct and the performance of the EPA. Uh, they have been all over this, and uh, they are on site there now. Uh, they have been cooperative. Uh, the local officials tell us and the state officials we've talked to said that the EPA is doing a great job in uh, running the tests, overseeing the tests, making decisions based on the tests to get people the right information. You know, we should be basing our decisions, John, on fact and science, not on uh, myth and, uh, and, and speculation at a time like this. That's what's so vitally important, because myth and speculation can scare the begemonies out of people, right? So we, so we need to deal with fact, and we need to deal with science. But uh, 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 Mayor Pete you know, what qualifies him to be the transportation secretary is that he rode a train uh, back and forth to college from home. That's that's the basis of his qualifications. And if you look at this instance and and all others in the Biden administration, from the border to the spy balloons with China, uh, President Biden has apparently surrounded himself uh, with people that are in less control of their faculties than he is. 
that is saying something. <laughs> oh, well, one last question, because there's an amazing piece of video footage. This train apparently traveled about 20 miles with its axle on fire before it was derailed. A lot of people say, can we create sensors? Can we do something in future train travel to avoid or get earlier detection of something as catastrophic as an axle failure? I know you're thinking about these things already. I saw you talking about it, but what are some ideas that might be out there to get better sensor management of trains so that maybe we can detect a crash before it happens? Yeah, you bring up a very good point. Uh, I did hear that uh, that that there were not enough detectors uh, uh, along the tracks to detect that that axle was on fire. The sensors, did they notify timely? A lot of that stuff, the National Transportation Safety Board will get into. And so let, let me say from the administration's perspective too, the NTSB, uh, they've been all over this too, John. I don't wanna disparage them. They're real professionals, aren't they? Yeah, they, they've got the difficult uh, task now of finding out what happened, why, how could it have been prevented, why didn't those sensors tell the uh, operators of the train, stop, you know, slow down. The other, the other thing was, uh, you know, that this train, at least according to uh, the Ohio Public Utilities uh, Commission, it was not designated a hazardous cargo carrying train, which is a federal issue. So my team and I are looking into that right now. What qualifies as a, uh, um, uh, a toxic uh, hazardous material train and who should have been notified and were they notified? And right now, what we're hearing is that A, it was not classified that way and B, Nobody was notified that at least 20 of those 50 cars that derailed, and there may have been others that didn't derail, that also had chemicals in them, but we, don't, we haven't talked about that. So I don't know how many cars were in the total train. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we know that of the 50 that derailed, 20 of them had hazardous materials in. So we're going to be asking that question, too. Yeah, these are such important questions. I'll just say I've been a journalist a long time, about 35 years, watching you in action, sir, this last week and just how involved you've been in your community, always looking for constructive answers and facts and solutions. It's really restores a lot of people's confidence in politics and Congress when they see the work you've done for the great people of East Palestine. I want to thank you and congratulate you on that. And thank you for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome, John. Thanks a lot for the kind words. Uh, call me anytime. We'll, we'll, chat, we'll chat about whatever's important that day. That sounds great, sir. It's a great honor to have you on. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Dustin Carmack, former chief of staff to the Office of Director of National Intelligence and its DNI, John Ratcliffe, great national security mind. He's currently at Heritage. We'll have him next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. We're going to stay on the subject of the China spy balloons, the Biden uh, administration's response. So many questions, so few answers. And one of the big warning signs for President Biden, the number of Democrats that are now openly calling him out, saying his story doesn't add up, we don't know enough, and we can't understand why we didn't shoot down the China spy balloon much before it finished traversing the United States. Well, our next guest, he played one of the most important roles in the Intelligence Committee as the Chief of Staff to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence under former DNI John Ratcliffe. Before that, he worked in Congress, one of the most trusted voices in security. And today, he's a research fellow for cybersecurity, intelligence, and emerging technologies at our good friends at the Heritage Foundation. He is Dustin Carmack, and he joins us right now. Dustin, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, John. I am have been fascinated watching the last three weeks. First off, because we've never had a moment in American history where four things were shot out of our own skies by the U.S. military in a very short period of time. But more, even more surprising now is that the longer this goes on, the more frustrated not only Republicans have become with the president and the lack of clarity about what's going on, but people like Mark Warner and many other Democrats are now voicing similar concerns. I think Joe Biden has managed to create bipartisan consensus that he, he basically mishandled this. What's going on and why are the members of Congress in both parties now increasingly frustrated with the president? Well, it sounds like, you know, that's a good way to uh, you know do a synopsis on this. I mean, my understanding is you know, the senators received a classified briefing yesterday that everybody walked away uh, unimpressed by. Uh, but what I what I find more interesting is in the last about 24 to 48 hours, there's, you know, reports or this was maybe briefed in the, uh, the, the hearing yesterday that, you know, the IC actually, you know, was aware of this balloon taken off from an island off of China, um, you know, a week before it crossed into, you know, the continental United States. And so, you know, the story has kind of changed where, you know, they were, you know, the IC apparently was watching it. They they thought that the, the normal route or maybe the, the previous ones that, you know, now they've identified that may have been flying near Guam or Hawaii last year that they may have uh, uncovered, that this is what they thought the route was going to be. And, and the explanation is that a kind of a freak cold front, you know, drew this thing up north into Alaska uh, and then, you know, downwards into the U.S. by the natural jet stream. Uh, and the Chinese just were kind of like, okay, we'll just take the opportunity to go ahead and do this, even though this wasn't supposed to be the case. I, you know, the, then this begs a lot of questions about, you know, NORAD's response, um, you know, when it flew over the Aleutians, the opportunities to take it out in, in multiple spots. And, you know, the, we've seen now what I've been more curious is the administration has changed their line on this. It went from being, uh, well, it wasn't, you know, an aircraft that, you know, we consider dangerous in the beginning. Uh, to we were surprised that it passed into you know the continental United States and we don't want to shoot her you know down across uh, U.S. territory that could damage you know somebody on the ground and then uh, oh the Trump administration officials knew all about this this happened back then to oh well we really got them that we we counter collected counterintelligence and we we jammed it and, and we prevented them from from spying on us by uh, being aware of where it was going. 
so you know like i said the story has really changed especially now that they you know this is out that it's been you know this was known about a week out um and i think it begs the question you know what was done who knew what uh during that timeline that is a great analysis in fact the best analysis of just how much this story has changed it's very concerning what we're seeing in terms of the history of the Biden administration not being able to tell us the truth about national security. We had a really pointed interview with Senator Mark Warner, uh, the current chairman, Democratic chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and really called out President Biden saying there's simply no good reason why this balloon wasn't shot down way earlier now that we know that it was being tracked for weeks before or days before it even entered our airspace. There's a feeling among Democrats now that Joe Biden is starting to look weak all the time. How problematic is that if the president is beginning to lose the confidence of his own Democratic allies in the Congress? Yeah, I think it's pretty prevalent. I mean, you've seen not a lot of Democrats, you know, want to speak out against this administration. You know, if it was, you know, the Afghanistan withdrawal and how it how it you know worked there or, you know, there hasn't been a lot of you know, critical oversight uh, other than maybe some some pot shots from the from the some different parts of the field. But. You know, Warner and others, I think, you know, really, you know, I think him and Rubio both, you know, want just clear answers on this. And, you know, to my opinion, they deserve uh, answers. And I think, you know, to the, you know, the broader American people need answers. Uh, my understanding is that there's some reporting now that before uh, the president leaves for Poland, that he may do an address um, and, you know, more public address on this issue. Uh, and I, you know, I understand, too, they're probably still collecting stuff from the, you know, the bottom of the ocean and trying to do, you know, some technical um you know, reconnaissance on, on what they were able to identify. But, but again, like I said, it begs the question because again, you know, all the sites that this thing flew over is, is really, uh, um, is, is scary to me because, you know, I try to make this note to some folks, you know, when, you know, essentially across, uh, you know, Fort Greeley, Alaska, where we have, you know, some of our ICBM interceptors and one of our major, you know, missile defense radar systems that actually is supposed to detect all kinds of different objects all the way up into space and o- over the North Pole, uh, where, you know, a missile would come from, from, you know, essentially North Korea or China or Russia, um, you know, all the way down through like the Miniman silos to, you know, Strategic Command in Nebraska to Whiteman Air Force Base and, and my home state of Missouri, where we have our B-2 bomber. So, you know, these are things that uh, I just would not really, I mean, I know that people are like, well, we have satellites that fly over that look at these same things, but a satellite passes over in a minute's time. Something that can loiter for an extended period of time at a closer range, you know, definitely has some, you know, probably some more bells and whistles of what it can collect. And, you know, then they say, well, well we encrypted this. Well, you know, you know, you know, who's also spending gobs of money and resources uh, with the goal of decrypting our encrypted communications is the Chinese, you know, when it comes to, you know, advances in quantum computing. So anyways, I I think a lot of these, you know, questions need to be answered by the administration. It is frustrating to see the days go by and the questions remain unanswered. I know a lot of people have expressed that frustration and it seems to grow. I want to turn for a second to the broader issue of China. When you worked for DNI Ratcliffe, the president, DNI Ratcliffe, the entire Trump administration was extraordinarily clear about the threat that China posed America. And Democrats at that point were saying, oh, they're xenophobes. Joe Biden actually looked in the camera near the start of his presidential campaign and said, China is not an enemy. They're not our competition. We don't need to worry about them. 
So much has evolved. Now Democrats are on board with trying to ban TikTok. Some states have already done it with Democratic governors. Some Democrats crossing over and supporting that. Democrats overwhelmingly supported the China threat subcommittee investigation, something that was almost unimaginable a couple of years ago. It seems as though the script has flipped and Joe Biden has done something that wasn't possible last six or 10 years. He's created bipartisan consensus on the China threat, even though he himself continues to fumble handling it. How does that dynamic maybe put Congress in the driver's seat on China policy for the next few years? Yeah, you're exactly right. I think, you know, between, you know, it's like Mike Gallagher's work, you know, coming up here on the on the China Select Committee and saying, hey, you know, we want this to be a bipartisan thing. I mean, the Democrats also had an opportunity to do this in the last Congress. There was supposed to be a bipartisan, you know, China uh, task force looking into this. Uh, uh, Mike McCall from Texas was going to run and the Democrats opted out of it. You know, again, like back to your point, they They've demagogued, you know, the Department of Justice's China initiative from the Trump administration, even though if you talk to most folks, you know, that are at the Department of Justice or the FBI, they say it's a huge problem. And, and you know, we need to be doing these types of investigations because the, the Chinese are stealing research and, and techno, tech transfers, you know, from underneath our nose. There was just reporting today talking about, you know, a Chinese um, stealing of, of ASML, a semiconductor company, the Dutch that, you know, builds lithography uh, machines for semiconductors. So, I mean, th- these are things that, you know, really need to be addressed. And, and, and like you said, uh, you know, I think Congress can really buckle up into the driver's seat with folks like Warner and Gallagher and others and really put their feet to the fire because I kind of find as much as their rhetoric at times say they're taking a tougher line on China or more holistic than the Trump administration, but then I, I don't really see a lot of the product that comes out on the other side where I think there's other naysayers in the administration that want to steer it back towards thinking that we can have a conversation with Xi that will you know, somehow turn out in a better favor for us. But every single action from the Chinese say that's exactly wrong. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It is a clear message now that China has sent us. It's also an unclear message that we seem to be sending back to China when we see Joe Biden at the helm. Congress seems a lot more clear. One of the ideas that's floating around is that maybe it's time to go back and at least threaten China with this, if not go back and do it, which is to revoke uh, permanent trade privileges and go back to the year-to-year approval of MFN, Most Favored Nation Status, which was the, the predominant way we dealt with China until around the end of the Clinton administration. A lot of Republicans, uh, Newt Gingrich, I was on the show, said that was a mistake. We shouldn't have taken that leverage off the table. Do you think there is a growing support for at least considering the idea the idea of doing something really big to table set or level set the relationship with China. Yeah, I do think, you know, on the trade side, you know, a lot of this though comes down to also having, I think, productive conversations with our allies and partners because, you know, it's one thing if we do it, it's another thing if we can really kind of lasso up other folks that should be concerned about China or have kind of been scared to talk about the threat and get them in our camp. And so, you know, there takes some honey in that process because you know, everybody's economies are on the line. We're just talking about a very intertwined economy um, that has consequences for any action that you do. And so, I, you know, my view has always been like, you know, really targeting these national security threats, looking at the long term of, of what some of these Chinese investments and what American investments are going into China. I mean, that's what's really annoyed me is some of the private capital outreach that essentially has been gone going unfettered, you know. And so, it really, you know, boils to, down to the point of, uh, you know, the most favored uh, nation status. But also, you know, the fact is, you know, they still consider the WTO and others consider also China to be a developing country. 
Um, and so I think there's some there's some oxygen in Congress, I think, to tackle even questions like that, that that, that shouldn't be the case. Um, and they shouldn't be treated like that. They shouldn't be eligible for loans and other things that they're taking advantage of uh, by, you know, essentially uh, beating, beating us to the punch on at these international organizations. Such important decisions ahead of us and orchestrating and working with our allies so that we send a clear, direct, consistent message is going to be important, something the Biden administration has really struggled with. I want to just pivot just for a few moments to Ukraine, Russia. Some interesting developments this week. State Department told Americans to leave Russia. There seems to be both Ukraine and Russia prepping for a major spring offensive. And there's a lot of talk about what the U.S. what might need to give Ukraine next or what the West needs to give Ukraine West. But the big missing piece, and I thought for sure what happened at the State of the Union, is the president has yet to describe the objective, the American interest, and the definition of victory in our support with Ukraine. How important is it surprising to you, given all the visibility of you saw how the Trump White House worked, that the president has yet to articulate the American interest, the strategy, the end game, and the definition of victory? It's just, you're exactly right. It's just a, a glaring, you know, uh, blind spot for the administration. I, you know, I kind of, you know, I think they, they tug on hearts and strings about, you know, the plight of the Ukrainians. And I, I'm 100% sympathetic. And I, you know, like I said, I want to see them to be successful. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, really kind of laying out there, there's a lot of different opinions in this country about uh, what's happening there and what, what needs to be done. But, you know, I think, you know, that's where it takes the bully pulpit and the, you know, administration, walking up and coming up with a clear strategy of like also saying why this is important, uh, what it means in the broader context of not just what's happening in Central Europe right now, but what happens in the next 10, 20, 30 years with countries such as China and others that want to sit there and, and play games that were done 80, 90 years ago where people decided to roll tanks across borders. And that was a way that they handled foreign policy and getting that back into a box of deterrence we don't see that anymore in our lifetime. But, but like you said, I, I see the administration a lot of times, you know, patting itself on the back about everything they've done. But what I've seen is actually them lollygag around and, and take their time on making decisions that are crucial when it comes to that t- crucial time box, allowing Russia to, you know, you know essentially uh, reacquisesce their, their supply chains, uh, it's either via China or Iranian drone systems, you name it, you know, time never proves to be a, on anybody's side. And so my view has always been, you know, give them the tools that, that can punch them in the face as fast as possible, because that's the only thing that's going to put them in the best terms to maybe come to, to a negotiated settlement or whatever they choose to. Yeah, such great insight. There. There's no doubt about it. Just the over-under on what we're seeing. I think there's a lot of talk in the West about how much casualties the Russian troops have endured. On the flip side, there's a lot of concern that a really strategic city that Ukraine has been trying to hold might get overrun by the Russians. What are the most important things we should be watching on that front over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, like I said, we're in the we're in the doldrums of winter there and, you know, just, you know, from horrific fighting from from what I've seen, just an open source um, and and, in a territory and area that, you know, some people would say, what's the the question of its its importance? You know, I think if anything, both sides are kind of, like you said, reconstituting uh, for what they'll see their counteroffensives or offensive campaigns beginning here soon. I think, you know, the Ukrainians are trying to kind of gather up a lot of this new uh, if it's Bradley fighting vehicles or some of the other uh, weapon systems that are moving into Ukraine that they hope to be able to to use and leverage in an offensive. And at the same time, you're also seeing the Russians 
possibly plan and start uh, talking about using, you know, more elements of their Air Force that they haven't used really uh, at, at the way that they could have throughout this conflict. And so I think you have some ugly months coming up here uh, on the fighting front. But I think both sides recognize that this is going to really set the terms of what, wherever we see this go, um, you know, because, you know, whoever can kind of gain the offensive, if that's both literally physically on the ground, but also the you know, emotional and, and mental uh, offensive, you know, towards, you know, broader allies and partners of seeing where this thing is going. Uh, I think the spring is going to be crucial for both sides to show either some kind of progress or not, because uh, it, it just gets harder. You know, th- this is a, a terrible, terrible, awful war. Uh, and a lot of people are being hurt and there's, you know, extraining resources too across, you know, a lot of people that are wanting to support, you know, different sides. And, uh, but yeah, like I said, the, you know, I think we're just kind of preparing the, the turf for what, you know, who's going to go where uh, coming up here in the next month or two. Yeah, uh, definitely an important moment in this war, an important moment for the world, actually. This war has great, great consequences for the future of global relations. Last question, return back to China, because no organization has done more than the Heritage Foundation to put out a plan for America to level set its relationship with China. China proof the American economy, keep get China was insinuations out of the supply chain. What's the best way for people to take a look at all that great work that Heritage has done on China? And what do you think is the most important next steps that Heritage has put on the table that Congress and the president should consider? Yeah, you know, thank you. Um, um, if people want to go to www.heritage.org, uh, we've got a lot of upcoming work. We've, we've made some great hires here recently to even uh, broaden our bench, you know, in terms of China, national security experts in this space. I think we're doing a ton, not only at the federal level, which I think, you know, there's going to be opportunities here, as we mentioned earlier about the, you know, from the select committee uh, on China and others where we can maybe get Congress to be a driving wedge to actually force the administration uh, to change policies or change the rhetoric or change, you know, the lines on how we see the, the China relationship and what we need to do in that. And vice versa, there's a ton that can happen at the states. And so I think one thing that people may not know as much as Heritage is, is very engaged where I think a lot of progress is being made, you know, on this issue and in the midst of a bunch of other issues at the state level. My my old boss, Governor DeSantis, is, you know, taking the T on, on the issue of China uh, at the state level. And so there's a lot that governors can do, you know, if it's from Chinese, you know, land purchases that could have national security intentions, the way that we saw the North Dakota facility um, play out here with Scipius in recent times, or uh, you look at, you know, Texas, you know, is also doing a lot of work in this space. So they're, you know, I, I like that because you're also seeing those kind of upward pressures as well help uh, maybe build some backbone in Congress to take some, some broader action. That's the key. Getting getting consensus, getting some action, running in place is not an option on any of the global security threats that America faces. Dustin, it is such an honor to have you on this show. You've done such great work, whether it was in Congress, in the DNI, now at Heritage. Very important voice on so many of the things that this world is facing in the near future. Going to be sure to get you back on real soon. Great. Thank you, John. Yeah, great to have you on. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? 
Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join us. Big thanks to Dustin Carmack and to Congressman Bill Johnson. I thought we got some very cogent, powerful insights to today's issues. And I hope you walked away a lot more educated. Uh, Ukraine, Russia, China. Just think how much the China debate has evolved from Republicans are xenophobes to Joe Biden is weak. And that's the Democrats changing their tune. That's not the Republican lines. Republicans have been pretty consistent on the threat. But I think you got a good sense of that today from Dustin Carmack and a very good, very up-to-date, the very latest information on the East Palestine train derailment. What a travesty, a tragedy in Ohio. And I think another dark, toxic plume cloud over the career of Pete Buttigieg. Democrats are real excited about him. A lot of people now shooting at him on both sides of the fence, Democrats and Republicans, and even fellow gay politicians like Rick Grinnell, who basically said on this show just a few days ago that Pete Buttigieg was the epitome of a diversity hire when there was no justification, no qualification for him to have been transportation secretary. Pretty powerful words in a growing criticism of Pete Buttigieg from the airline crisis to the train crisis to the train strike to this East Palestine train derailment. A lot of concerns about that. So big thank you to Congressman Bill Johnson for taking time from the emergency work he's doing in his district to spend some time with us. All right, folks, that wraps up today's edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. So grateful you can join us. Be sure to check out all the great breaking news that we have at justthenews.com. Go download our app from the Apple or Android smartphone stores. We've got a great app. You can watch, read, and listen. Listen to the podcast, watch the television show, watch our great videos at Just the Views, and also get headlines and breaking news and great investigative reporting at justthenews.com. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless you, and God bless this great country of the United States, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. 